0: Welcome back to the program. As investigators begin to get back some of the DNA evidence, we have an article from NBC News that goes into that DNA evidence a little bit further and details a little bit about what goes down when an investigation like this is taking place. And I think it's a pretty interesting article. And it adds a little bit of context to what's going on and what the investigators are facing with this monumental task. So, let's just get right into the article and let's see what NBC News has for us. Headline, investigators untangling the Idaho student slaying face a daunting task, parsing the DNA. Victims' family and the public are growing impatient with police investigating the University of Idaho stabbings, but analyzing evidence could take weeks. And I don't think anyone who is logical is expecting them to rush through the process of going through the DNA. I think the main frustration for most people is simply the communication aspect of all of this. This article was authored by John Shoup, Eric Ortiz, and Tim Stello. The search for whoever fatally stabbed four University of Idaho students last month includes examining an enormous amount of biological and digital evidence, a kaleidoscope of potential clues, some obvious, some unseen, and some that may lead to the wrong answers. No suspect has been publicly identified, no weapon has been found, and police have said little about what they've learned, as the small college town of Moscow has become the focus of widespread grief, anger, and speculation. A break could come at any moment from a confession or the thousands of tips submitted to police. Such tips led the city's police department to ask the public on Wednesday for help tracking down the occupants of a white Hyundai Elantra in the early morning hours of November 13th, the day the students were found dead. The people in the car, which may have been near the house when the students were later discovered, could have critical information, the department said. But in the absence of a sudden development, investigators are relying on forensic techniques to tackle a case in a time-consuming process that appears unusually complex, according to half a dozen experts in crime scene analysis and evidence gathering. And this is why I think it's going to be a tip that leads the police, the investigators, to finding the person responsible. This is a case that only the most experienced crime techs can solve and answer, said Jennifer Koffendaffer, who worked 25 years as an FBI agent and investigated violent crimes. It's going to take a long, long time, and there's no doubt it's going to take some time to go through all of this DNA. But with all of the resources being pumped into Moscow and all of the attention being placed on what happened, hopefully this DNA gets expedited. Coffindaffer and other experts told NBC News that the forensic investigation may be complicated by the chaotic nature of the murders, the layout of the rented house where the victims were found, and the likelihood that many students hung out or partied there. That's for sure. This is what we said earlier. When you have a high traffic house like this, very difficult to come in and build a DNA template due to all of the contagion from so many people being at the house all the time. And this is another reason why I don't think it was drug related. You're not going to have a stash house at a sorority house. That's crazy where kids could stumble into one of the rooms drunk or even worse. What if a fight breaks out? The cops are called and they come in, they toss the house and find the drugs. So in my opinion, the very reason that this place is a DNA nightmare as far as contagion and finding, you know, a strand to follow, that's the same reason why it wouldn't be a stash house. You don't have all that traffic at a stash house. I know it's frustrating to people, but murder investigations are not a spectator event, said Howard Ryan, a former commander of a crime scene unit in the New Jersey State Police, who is now a consultant for law enforcement. People are influenced by TV shows. They believe that these events and processing and work happens at a much more rapid pace and results are obtained much quicker than they really are. Well, look, I think they're conflating a little bit when you hear the police and all of these ex-police officers and FBI come out on these tangents. In normal circumstances, they're right about that because these cities, they're trying to turn over all of these murder cases at once. They don't have the resources to just jump in on one case. The labs are backed up. Forensics are backed up. But when you have the singular focus that we have here, things should move in a lot quicker manner. And things should be processed in a lot quicker manner. Now, does that mean that it's going to be overnight? No, of course not. But it's not your regular run-of-the-mill homicide, say, in the inner city where you have one detective working it. You have not only the detectives, but remember, you have the FBI. You have other people that they've flown in. So you have a whole host and a whole army of people here who are working towards getting these results turned around quickly. Although blood can be a crucial source of DNA, investigators don't know from the start which is the victims and which could be from the suspect. The same thing goes for other potential clues left behind. So investigators have to collect a lot of specimens. You can't assume each drop of blood is from the same person, said David Carter, a professor of criminal justice at Michigan State University and former Kansas City, Missouri police officer who specializes in homicide, investigations, and intelligence. Well, if you worked in KC, my guess is you've seen a few homicides, huh? Pretty violent place. And these guys who have worked in these big cities and who have worked as homicide police especially, they have a intimate knowledge of how all of this stuff goes down. Because, I mean, say you work in a place like Baltimore. How many homicides are you getting a year as an investigator? How many bodies are you catching? So, these guys have a lot of experience with these crime scenes and how all of it works. You have to sample all of them and analyze them all to see if they belong to victims or a suspect. It is very time intensive. They're trying to find hairs, footprints from shoes, fingerprints, anything like that. Authorities in Idaho could be waiting on the outcomes of forensic analysis, which can take weeks or months to complete, he said. They've got to look at it all, Carter said. It's laborious, really laborious. And I agree under normal circumstances. But here, when you have so many different investigators with their hands in the pie, this has to be expedited. Each day that passes disheartens victims' families, fuels impatience from the public, and adds to the pressure on authorities. The Moscow Police Department has called in the state police and FBI for help, charted the victims' final hours, and ruled out a number of people as suspects, including two roommates who were in the house at the time of the November 13th killings. They've chased down unsubstantiated leads and tamped down speculation and rumors that have circulated in the absence of news. Police have also faced criticism from students and the local community for not providing more information about their investigation, including why they believe the stabbings were a targeted attack. Police have also uh, released conflicting statements about the ongoing threat to the public. Moscow police have said they recognize how frustrating the lack of news can be for the families and the public, but do not want to jeopardize the case. We are at the point in the investigation where we're still gathering information, We're still gathering tips. We're still gathering evidence. We're still doing everything we need to do. Moscow police chief James Fry said in a video posted online Tuesday afternoon. And there's no doubt that they are. I think that the main criticism from most people has been the messaging. How how it's been packaged. Now, of course, you're going to have some yahoos who think they know better than the investigators. There's always those people out there who are sitting on their computers They got their fingers stained with Cheetos. They're sucking down their stepdaddy Terry's Mountain Dew. You know those folks. And they're going to think they know better than FBI investigators. But the fact of the matter is this. We don't know even a portion of what these investigators know. The Moscow killings occurred in a three-story, six-bedroom rented house about a half block from the University of Idaho campus. Three of the victims, Madison Mogan, Zana Kernodal, and Kaylee Gonsalves, lived in the house. The fourth, Ethan Chapin, 20, was Kernodal's boyfriend and was staying the night, police said. Two victims were found on the second floor and two on the third floor, police said. All were likely asleep and each were stabbed multiple times, some with wounds suggesting that they'd fought back against their attacker, police said, citing the coroner. Two roommates on the first floor slept through the killings, police have said. Investigating a crime like this begins with securing the scene, which, likely, has already been walked through by witnesses and the first patrol officers to arrive, experts said. Not every scene. This scene, yeah, for sure. This scene was definitely contaminated, and there's not even a doubt about that. That's not speculation. Now, was the whole scene contaminated, meaning the actual rooms where the murders took place? Well, we don't have that information yet. But the actual crime scene of the rest of the house certainly contaminated. Then investigators document everything they see, taking photographs, writing notes, and creating 3D scans. Next, investigators move through the scene, swapping surfaces for DNA and fingerprints, collecting blood samples, and looking for clues in where the blood was found. So, you know, like in the shows or the movies, they come in with, like, the lights, and they have a whole process. And the people that come into these crime scenes to go through and collect this evidence the best in the world, not even a shadow of a doubt about how good they are at what they do. With four victims and multiple bedrooms and multiple floors of a house, each room becomes a scene unto itself, Ryan said. Many basic details have not been released, including the exact location of each victim, the order in which they were killed, and the extent uh, extent of each of their wounds. Police have not publicly theorized how the killer entered and exited the house, but say there are no signs of forced entry or property damage. Investigators also said none of the victims were sexually assaulted. The weapon is believed to have been a fixed blade knife. So with the whole not being sexually assaulted and all of the other circumstances that we have here, it was leading me to believe right away that it was somebody that they knew. And that's why I'm so confused here. No sexual assault, no forced entry. So all of the signs point to somebody that they might have known. But this is one of those cases where you can just throw precedent out the window. Airline credit card. I think that when we finally get to a destination here, hopefully when we get to a destination here of somebody being caught, it's going to throw us all for a Moscow police said they have collected 113 pieces of evidence, but have not provided more details. They said they also received more than 5,000 tips by email and voicemail. More than 1,000 digital media submissions have been provided to the FBI. We're putting the pieces together, and I think when the picture is done, I think we'll have a real clear definition of what occurred and where to go, Aaron Snell, an Idaho State Police spokesman, told NBC News last week. And I'm sure that's what they're doing. They're They're trying to put this puzzle together, and they don't have all of the pieces yet, And while it's slowly falling into place, until you have all of the pieces, you don't really know what the puzzle is going to reveal, right? The FBI assigned nearly 50 investigators to the case, while the state police has placed more than a dozen investigators and forensic experts to provide testing and analysis to help Moscow's team of six detectives. So think about that. Moscow only had six detectives leading up to this. And when you're dealing with this kind of homicide, four kids, four people being killed. Imagine six detectives. That means no detectives for anything else in the town that's going on. So thankfully, they got all of this help. My thing is, what happened in the lead up before the help got here? Was the crime scene completely destroyed? You know, there's just a bunch of questions. The department declined to say how long the process of examining evidence would take or answer other questions about the investigation. Underlying the case is a sobering statistic. U.S. police made arrests in less than half of homicides in 2021, according to FBI data. An analysis of 2019 data from the Bureau shows authorities are 25 percent more likely to solve stabbings and shootings. But that data is from less than half of the nation's roughly 18,000 departments, said Stephen Briggs, a professor of political science at North Dakota State University, who studies clearance rates or the number of cases closed by arrests and other means. And this is the, the, the scary part, right? The thought that somebody can do something like this and get away with it, that's some terrifying stuff, and especially if we never get any more information about what went down. Researchers aren't sure why stabbings may be more likely to be solved, but Briggs said that homicides committed with sharp objects often bring the victim and offender into close contact, whereas those committed with firearms can occur in close proximity or greater distances. This may make the identification of a suspect easier or more likely for bystanders or other witnesses when they are present. And there's no doubt it just makes sense, logically speaking, that if you use a knife to kill somebody, there's going to be a better chance of you getting caught than if you use a gun. The lack of an arrest has unsettled the University of Idaho where many students have chosen not to return to campus for the remainder of the semester or are asking for police escorts around campus. Family members of victims have also expressed frustration. Stephen Gonsalves, Kaylee's father, said in an interview last week that the lack of information released by the police has made him fear the investigation will lose momentum. I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's way too many people who have their eyes on this case. And I don't think that it's going to disappear from the public discourse until we have some resolution. Don't let this go cold. Like some of these cases that we've seen around, that just makes the pain last even longer, Gonsalves said. And again, I've seen people out here criticizing this man, and it's bizarre to me. You have to have some set on you to sit around and criticize a father who just lost their daughter in such a manner. Experts stress that investigations like this one are nearly impossible to work quickly, given the level of evidence that needs to be processed and the potential for mistakes. Peter Yachmetz, a retired FBI agent with three decades at the agency, specializing in security, said the samples could number in the thousands and may not even be from the victims or the killer. A college apartment house can have a lot of people coming and going or staying the night, so... Who could, not, who could have left DNA evidence? It's a pretty daunting task, Yakmet said. And what about people who lived there previously? I know it was a while ago, but maybe that DNA holds. The point is, they have a monumental task on their hands and they're facing an uphill climb. But with all of the extra help, that should help to extradite this process and make things move in a quicker manner. Before getting answers about DNA, investigators see clues in the location of blood. If there isn't a lot of blood far from the body, it could show that there wasn't much of a struggle. Perhaps because the victim was killed while they slept, experts said. Blood leading away from a body could mean the killer was injured. If the killer got blood on themselves, then they would likely try to remove it using towels, clothing, toilet paper, a sink, even the washing machine. How messy they were could provide insight into whether the killer had planned the crime or acted in the moment. Again, this is all stuff that the investigation is going to have to show us. It doesn't seem to me at this point that this was a rage killing like done in the moment. But I don't really know. I'm just telling you my guess, right? This evidence and the roadmap that it's going to create is going to help the the investigators immensely in putting all of these pieces together. Investigators try to identify the blood drops that don't fit the larger pattern, said George Hampikian, a DNA expert at Boise State University and the executive director of the Idaho Innocence Project. That could be either from dripping from a knife or a hand as the person's walking away or from an injury to the assailant. If the assailant is not wearing gloves, their hands are likely touch things that investigators can try to collect DNA from, Hapakian said. Swabs and other items taken from the scene are sent to a crime lab where scientists look for signs of DNA. Finding enough genetic material to build a full DNA profile of a suspect can take days. Investigators also try to get DNA swabs from a wide array of people. Some, including the victims, and those who have been ruled out as suspects, are considered exclusionary. But experts also recommend getting swabs from anyone else investigators interview just in case. I think that's a good policy to have. You never know. You might have to come back to somebody later on like we saw with Richard Allen. So it's certainly good policy to get a collection here from everybody who might be involved. DNA Profiles from potential suspects are run through a federal database collected by law enforcement agencies around the country of people arrested for or convicted of crimes. Profiles collected from unidentified suspects in unsolved crimes are also in the database, known as CODIS. A match can lead authorities to a suspect who they must then locate and confirm a match with, a process that can take days or weeks. So when you're dealing with CODIS, there's certainly a lot of information that has to be run. But remember, they're talking about generally speaking, meaning under normal circumstances. This is anything but normal circumstances. And with all of the resources thrown at this case, my guess is that the DNA went to the front of the line. If there is no hit in CODIS, then investigators can use other methods to find a DNA match. One method that has become widespread in recent years is genetic genealogy, in which investigators enter an unknown suspect's DNA profile into databases compiled by consumer services, typically used by people to learn about their ancestries. Then, using public genealogy records, they build family trees that could lead them to the killer. That process can take weeks or months. So there's no doubt that that's a uh, laborious process there and them going through that, and trying to build family trees, and that'll take some time. Biological evidence is just one aspect of the forensic investigation. Typically, the victim's computers and phones are scanned for clues, in emails, text messages, social media posts, internet searches, and photos. Phones can also reveal the victim's movements, and there's something called a geofence warrant that the police can use, and it's really frowned upon by people who are into, you know, privacy issues, but the geofence warrant gives the authorities a whole range of ability when it comes to flagging people's mobile movements, getting their records, so my guess is a geofence warrant has been asked for and given, at least to some extent here. Investigators can also get a judge's permission to ask Google and other tech companies for information about phones that were in the area of the murders, a tool known as geofence warrants. This method has led police to suspects on all sorts of crimes, from murder to burglary. Ryan said he assumed that geofence warrants are being used in the Idaho case, along with other kinds of digital dragnets. My guess is that they're using geofence warrants. I've done a whole episode on geofence warrants in the past. Maybe I'll repost that one so that people can get a look at it and maybe get more context as to what it is. But he's not surprised that police in Idaho have not said whether they're doing any of this. As investigators, we don't owe the public real-time updates. Investigations are sometimes done very quietly and clandestine, and sometimes it has to be that way, Ryan said. Maybe they have someone under surveillance and they're waiting for results. Maybe they have someone or maybe they have nothing. And that's pretty much where we're all at, right? Maybe they have something. Maybe they don't. But I thought this article was interesting because it kind of gives you a little bit of an inside look at what the investigators are doing and what their thought process might be as they're processing the evidence. All right, folks, well, that's going to do it for this one. If you'd like to contact me, you can do that at Capucci at protonmail.com. That's B-O-B-B-Y-C-A-P-U-C-C-I at protonmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at B-O-B-B-Y underscore C-A-P-U-C-C-I. The link that I discussed can be found in the description box.